0: So it's been two weeks since we were in Ruth 1. Uh, last week we had members meeting and next week it looked like, I didn't realize this till today, but next week we have budget discussion for the coming year. So uh, it'll be another week before we get to Ruth 3, but I'm trying to get each chapter into one Wednesday night. So we should be done with Ruth in two more Wednesday nights and then we'll move on to, we'll move on to another book. If you have suggestions, feel free to send them to me. I, you know, We can do Leviticus if you want to, but that, that usually thins out the herd. <laughs> uh, so it's been, been a couple of weeks. Uh, somebody tell me what happened in chapter 1 of Ruth. Just the story. The storyline as it is so far. Chapter 1 of Ruth. What happened? She lost her husband and her two sons and then came back. Okay. Uh, Naomi... Uh, the husband, the the wife of uh, Elimelech um, they moved away from Israel why did they move away? Because there was a famine we (laughs) talked about whether that was right or wrong, there's differing opinions about that and as they moved away, as it was said Naomi's husband died. Now Naomi had two sons those two sons married, who did they marry? Moabite. Moabite women, do you remember their names? Ruth, of course, is one. Orpah, yeah. I guess that's, that's as good a pronunciation as we're going to get. And Ruth and Orpah and their two sons had many, many children, right? No, they were childless, it says, for 10 years. And then what happened? The two sons died. So we've le- we're left now with three widows. And at this point, Naomi hears that the famine in Israel is over. And so she starts heading back to Bethlehem. What did the two daughter-in-laws do? Huh? They went with her? Both of them? They started off both going with her. Okay. And Orpha, Orpah, whatever her name is, she said... She said, I, you know, Naomi basically talked her into going back, go back to your family, go back to your gods, Naomi said, which is a weird thing for an Israelite who believes in there is only one God to say, and she tried to talk Ruth into going back as well, and Ruth said, nope. In fact, we have for the first words out of Ruth's mouth are some of the most beautiful Um, sections of scripture. She says, where you go, I go. Where you die, I'm going to die. Where you're buried, I'm going to be buried. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. So Naomi, what was Naomi's state of mind when they came back into Bethlehem specifically, but Israel as the people of Bethlehem recognized her, of course, what was her state of mind? Yes, bitter, angry. She, we saw that. In fact, she told them. they it says, it's, "Remember what Naomi means? It means pleasant or gentle." And she said, "Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means yeah. bitter, bitter." She was bitter against God. She was despairing. She was hopeless. She even told the people of the town, "Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, bitter, because I went away full." And I've come back empty. And she said, God has testified against me. So she was bitter. And chapter 1 ended saying they came back, Ruth and Naomi came back to Bethlehem during the beginning of the barley harvest. So famine's over, the crops are prospering, and now it's time for harvest. And God, bring them, God brings them back right at the time of harvest. So what we're going to do is I want to read the whole chapter of Ruth 2. And then we're going to go back and we're going to take a verse at a time like we always do. But there's a lot of little things in this chapter that you need to see that are going to color how we see some of the earlier verses. Y'all with me? All right, let's do this. Now, all right, let's wait on the stupid thing. All right. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, which is Naomi's dead husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. word favor is also translated as grace in many of your translations. Same word. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So... She came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz says, The Lord repay or is repaying you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. This is very important. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull off or pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. And don't rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she'd gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Some of your translations may say kinsmen redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until... Till they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, that's a whole lot. I wanted you to see the whole story, uh, get it in your mind, because as we take these apart, we're going to be referencing several things that are back and forth. Chapter 2 begins with just this tidbit of information. We are given this information that Ruth and Naomi don't yet know. So it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is a relative of Naomi's family, Elimelech's family, to be precise, who still resides in Bethlehem. And this man is said to be worthy in the ESV. This word is really difficult to translate. So if you have an NIV in front of you, it says that he is a man of standing. Uh, If you have a New American Standard Bible in front of you, it says he was a wealthy man. So I think worthy is probably a good translation, but it includes all of these things. He's a, he's a well-known man, a man of standing, a wealthy man. Obviously, he owns fields and servants and all those kind of things. Um, and what we're going to find out is later on in the text that he's also a godly man. So he is a worthy man, a, a man of standing. What's the spiritual condition of Israel during this time? Backslidden, I guess. What's the, what's the, remember he said it's during the time of the judges. What's the refrain throughout the book of Judges? Everybody did, what was right in their own eyes. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. You see it over and over and over and over again. A lot of wickedness, a lot of evil, a lot of rebellion. But here is a man who is, of course, blessed with prosperity. And he's blessed with standing. And we're going to find out in a few verses he's also a godly man. So this is, verse 1 is just the narrator's note telling us something that Ruth and Naomi don't know yet. And then the scene shifts back to Naomi and to Ruth. Verse 2 says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said, she said to her, Go, my daughter. What's all this gleaning business about? What is that? Yeah, picking up with the leftover. Why was it a practice in Israel? For the poor, to help provide for the poor. poor. It was actually part of God's law. Part of God's law to benefit the poor, to benefit the destitute... Uh, to help those who were foreigners, widows, orphans, those kind of things. In Leviticus chapter 19, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, the foreigner." I am the Lord your God. Then later in Deuteronomy 24, Moses is giving the law, a recitation of the law. He says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So quite frankly, this is the only way that Ruth and Naomi are going to be able to survive. We talked about the fact that Uh, How widows were. There's no social safety net. There's no government assistance. There's nothing like that. Your family has to take care of you. And if your family doesn't is is passed away or you have no family, then these these uh, uh, these these laws that were sparsely given through the Old Testament covenant were to help Israel take care of, of these people. Someone has to go out and glean for food, but there's really something strange about this interaction, this little quick interaction between Ruth and Naomi that I want to point out to you, and it really caught my attention. I may be reading too much into it, so you just, you you tell me if you think I'm, I'm reading a little too much into it, and we'll see. There's a contrast here, in my mind anyway, between Ruth's mindset and Naomi's mindset. So Ruth seems, I don't know, courageous, is that a good word for it? You know she's filled with filled with faith. I mean even though she's a foreigner and she's a Moabite which we talked about were the enemies of Israel, she's determined to live where God has placed her and to do whatever's necessary to provide for her and for Naomi. You know even if her only hope is basically what we would call begging, you know, going out and gleaning with all of these poor and these widows and these people Ruth is a Moabite widow, so technically she's qualified by the law to go out and glean. She's a foreigner. She's a widow. Um, But you can only imagine how dangerous it would be, right, for her to do so. I mean, later on in the text, he says, I'm going to tell my young men not to touch you. And later on, Naomi says, you know, you went out. It's a good thing you found somebody to find favor with because you could have been assaulted. You know, both of those things are said in this chapter. It was dangerous. It'd be dangerous for her to do so. She's not an Israelite. She's a young widow. She'd be ripe for mistreatment. And really, her only hope is that she's going to find somebody that she'll find favor with in the field. That's her only hope. Hope that someone is going to show her grace. Another word for favor. So she says, Let me go glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She has no idea who that's going to be. Just maybe I'll find favor with somebody and I'll be able to glean some, some food for us to eat. Now, contrast that with Naomi's response. Go. Go, my daughter. By most accounts... Naomi isn't elderly yet. She's probably, we don't know exactly for sure, but she's probably around 50. Why doesn't Naomi take the initiative to go glean? Why does, why didn't she go with Ruth? You know, maybe I'm not in a position to do all the work of gleaning, but why not go with Ruth to keep her company, to provide some protection? You know, two's better than one. Not only does she not go with Ruth, but it by the way she talks, it doesn't even seem like she appreciates She just says, go. Go, my daughter. Is there anything in chapter 1 that gives us insight into what she's thinking or how she's thinking? She's given up. She's depressed. Be too busy being <laughs> that's, that's a great answer. She's too busy being bitter. Way to go, Don. I think that's exactly right. Now let's to be fair you know we're 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 bible interpreters and all we have is the word of god to go by so we might be reading a little bit too much into go my daughter but it's easy to imagine her bitterness has really taken hold remember she blamed god she feels like if if not flat out blamed god she felt feels like god is against her testifying against her She's in despair. She is definitely, by her own words, bitter about all this. She has given up hope of any kind of life. You know, when we give up hope in God's goodness and we give ourselves over to despair and bitterness, it's easy for us to just stop trying, to just stop uh, whatever, you know. It's easy, it's easy for us to picture her, Naomi, thinking, you know, what's the point doesn't matter what I do. God's going to be against me. doesn't matter what I do. It's never going to amount to anything. You know, maybe I find another husband. He'll probably die too. You know, why, why go out and do all, why go knock, you know, it's not going to do any good because God is against me. Sure, Ruth, you want to go knock yourself out. I mean, bless your little heart. I know you're still at, you just go right ahead, but I am done. You know, you can, that's a lot to read into, go, my daughter. But you can really see that from her bitterness at the end of chapter one. Well, I think Ruth asked her permission. She said, "Let me go." She asked her. If it was like that. Sure, I don't. I don't disagree with that at all. She said, "I think that Ruth asks Naomi's permission to go." So you're Naomi, and you're a widow, and you're an Israelite. And these are your people, they know her, because remember when she came back in chapter one, they said, Isn't this Naomi? Who you know, you wouldn't go with your daughter-in-law to get food for you to eat? Even if you even if you are unable as an older woman to glean, you wouldn't go just with her. You'd send out your widowed Moabite, enemy of Israel daughter, into the fields of Israel to follow the reap. Really? i Naomi time. Huh? Well, the writer of Ruth is the one who told me how bitter she was. <laughs> she was Naomi was just like Ruth was. Yeah, yeah, Naomi was desperate, for sure. She was desperate. I think she was despairing. And like I said, we are reading quite a bit into just this little go my daughter. But it is coming from... The previous passage that showed the utter bitterness of Naomi. I think that this is where Naomi's at. But Ruth's attitude just seems so much different. She's prepared to take the risk. I mean, she's prepared to go on living, to step out in faith, to keep moving forward. Hey, Israel has a law that says we can go glean They're not going to cut the edges of the field. And if something gets dropped, they're not going to pick it up. And this is for us who are widows and foreigners. So let me go and, and get food so we can eat. Yes. I mean, yeah, I think that's exactly the contrast we're meant to see. I, I think so. You know, I'm not going to fight a war over that because it, we're just told Ruth is ready to go keep on living and Naomi is bitter and blaming God, according to the end of chapter 1. So we can make a lot of inferences in that. We can guess. We can. The text really doesn't say that. But there's another reason why I think it uh, because, number one, she's not going with her. She's not even acting like she's thankful for her going. At the end of the chapter, when Naomi finds out Ruth has, been, has just happened to meet Boaz, who is her kinsman redeemer, then she start, Then her whole attitude shifts. And the bitterness at the end of chapter 1 turns into expectation and, and joy. And even proclaiming, God hasn't stopped being kind to the living and the dead, she says, not to us. Uh, so you see at the end, that's why I read the whole chapter, because at the end of the chapter, Naomi's, looks like Naomi's whole mindset turns around when she realizes, hey, there is a redeemer out there. There is a chance that, that my line in Israel can continue. There, there is this, you know, she sees God's hand, God's providence in all of this that's happened. So huh? Yeah. Well, it always helps when you get some food in your belly. That's right. I agree. Sometimes I get a little down and all I need is a half gallon of ice cream and I'll be back. <laughs> so in, in this, I think we see, I think that we see Ruth's faith here. Remember we talked about Ruth in, in chapter 1 when we said your God is going to be my God and I'm God. I think that Ruth is a believer in the God of Israel by this point. Uh, And we see her faith, not just by saying, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to go try to glean some food. But her specific statement is, I'm going to go out and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Like that word favor is the same word as grace. She's saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find someone who's going to show me favor, show me grace. I I think we see her faith working. Her faith is not giving in as it seems. I'm going to say that because I can't prove it definitively. As it seems, Naomi has given up and is bitter and all those things. Her faith keeps moving a step at a time. And that's what faith is. Really, it's action that trusts God is moving to bring about his result. And that's exactly what happens. If you read verse 3 and 4, it says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. This is Naomi's dead husband. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So Ruth goes out to glean. She has no reason to choose one part of the field over any other part of the field. But it just so happens that she ended up in the field that Boaz, Naomi's relative, owns. The phrase, she happened to come, is literally her chance chanced to come. So you can, might translate it, by a stroke of luck, she ended up in Boaz's field. And then in verse 4, it says, And behold, as if to say, and what do you know? Boaz just happened to show up that day. Do you think the author intends for us to think all of this is just happening by chance? Not at all. Not at all. At the end of the chapter, we're going to see that God was guiding all of this in everyday life, in the everyday lives, in the sufferings, in the hardships, in the everyday lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Boaz. And there were no angelic visions or voices from heaven that guided Ruth to the right field. She just trusted in the Lord and he directed her steps where he desired. And she just happened to go to the right field at the right time, at the right place where Boaz showed up, who just happened to be a kinsman redeemer for Naomi's family. That's just, that's God's providence in action. The same God that sent the famine to Israel and then ended the famine, bringing Naomi home right at the beginning of the harvest, exactly the right time, and brought Ruth with her because the sons had died, now brought Ruth and Boaz together. And it just so happened that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer to her family we'll learn about the kinsman redeemer just a little bit more in, in the rest of the chapter but as we're introduced to boaz we see that he's not just a worthy man not just a man of standing not just a wealthy man we're as we're told in verse one he's a godly man i think that's the reason the author that's what the author intends us to see by giving us the greeting that he greets his servants with and that they greet him back with i mean why else you see it in verse four And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. Yahweh be with you. And they answered, and Yahweh bless you. What other reason could the author have for showing us how Boaz greeted his servants and how they responded? They blessed one another in their greeting by the Lord. They blessed each other by the Lord in their everyday interactions. In this time, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, God brought Ruth not just to a kinsman redeemer, not just to the one who is part of her family, uh, part of Naomi's family, but right to a man in the midst of a place where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes who was devoted to the God of Israel. In fact, Boaz later says, I'm going to tell my servants not to touch you. And Naomi says, it's a good thing you found him because you could have been assaulted. But God brought her right to a man who is a godly man, one who loves the Lord. And God uses Boaz to show his grace to Ruth. First, we see Ruth, Boaz notices Ruth gleaning in the field. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers Answered. She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Boy, you really see the character of Ruth here, don't you? Boaz asks, okay, he sees Ruth, asks his servant, who does she belong to? His question is kind of pertinent because in this time, a lone woman, a lone widow, especially a Moabite without... I mean, was just so vulnerable, so vulnerable in the field um, without family to protect her. And the servant tells Boaz who she is. Later we find out by this time the whole town knows Ruth's story and how she chose to come to Israel with Naomi and all that. Um, but then he tells Boaz how Ruth is humbly asked to work in the field. You know, as part of God's law, technically she didn't have to ask. She'd just go, go around gleaning, but she humbly had asked uh, and how she had worked hard from morning to to that point. And so Boaz takes it upon himself to provide and to protect this young lady. So verse 8 and 9 says this, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, I want to say something here. Because I'm sure we all know the story, right? We all know what's going to happen. We all know how this ends. We know where it's leading. But I think there's a problem with the way that this story often gets presented. In our minds, especially since we know how this is going to end, we think, well, this is just love at first sight. You know, we think this is a romantic encounter. And Boaz is automatically just smitten with this beautiful woman named Ruth. You know, I mean, it's not so far-fetched. You know, he's an older dude, and she's a good-looking young woman, and she's a widow, and he just swoops in to make his move, you know, hoping to win her as a wife. You know, it's a Hallmark movie in the making, I think. (laughs) Rich guy, poor little widow, older guy, younger woman, you know. But in the real world, we call that gross, That's not how the author presents this. This was not a romantic gesture on Boaz's part. There isn't any indication that Boaz is seeking to woo her as his wife. He approaches her and he calls her his daughter. Boaz is a godly man who's taking the responsibility to provide and to protect her, this foreigner, this widow, this destitute woman, as a father would his daughter. She's a Moabite. Marriage would be the last thing that Boaz would be seeking. And this is borne out in the text itself. Look at how this plays out. He says, you know, go stay with, the, stay with the women, my servants, and go after them, reap after them, go get water from the vessels when you need it. And then it says, Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She understands. I'm a Moabite. I'm an outcast. There was a good chance that I probably wouldn't even been allowed to be in the field. Though the law commanded it, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes at this time. And remember, at this point, Ruth has no idea who Boaz is. She doesn't know that he's related to Naomi, nor does she know that there's a possibility if he were to marry her, that he'd be a redeemer to the family, a kinsman. She doesn't know any of this. We were told that as a narrator's note in verse 1. But remember in verse 2, Ruth told Naomi, let me go glean, maybe I'll find favor with the man who owns the field. And though that wasn't a prayer that Ruth uttered, it was speaking to Naomi, God heard her and he used Boaz to show favor to her. Why have I found favor in your eyes? She's astonished that not only is he going to honor the law of God, which was just his basic duty and let her glean in the field, but he's going above and beyond the law to take care of her, to protect her from all of the men that are in the field, but also to provide for her by giving her water, even though she's not his servant technically, and doing these things for her. Why would you do all this? We think it's because Ruth is hot. And Boaz just wants her. But Boaz explains the reason to us. Why are you doing this, Boaz? Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before... And then he says, the Lord repay, or the Lord, present tense, is repaying you for what you have done. And a full reward be given or is being given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. And here's the definitive statement, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see it? When answering the question, why have you done this? Why have you shown favor to me? Boaz doesn't say anything about her beauty. Or the possibility of them getting together. He's not seeking a wife here. What has impressed him is her character. He's struck by her care for Naomi. Her faithfulness to her family, which is also his family. Boaz knows he's related to Naomi. And Ruth is a woman who she has suffered as much as Naomi has. You know, father-in-law died, or, well, I guess it wasn't her father-in-law then, but her husband died, just like Naomi's husband died. And she has shown loyalty, she has shown kindness to Naomi, even been willing to literally sacrifice her life, leaving her country, leaving her family, leaving her gods, her idols, to stay with Naomi just like Abraham, she left her home to travel to a people she didn't know, a land she didn't know. Boaz tells her, as a matter of fact or a matter of explanation of his favor, it's the Lord repaying you. The Lord is blessing you, not because she has done all these great things, but because she has taken refuge under his wings. That's why one of the reasons why in the earlier chapter I told you, I think Ruth has come to faith in, in God of Israel. Because she has come, she's taken refuge in God. I think Boaz, I think the central issue here is that Boaz recognizes the truth. Ruth is a Moabite who is trusting in Israel's God, and because of that, she's given herself to faithfulness to her family just as God commands, and she's out here gleaning sheaves to take care of who Boaz knows is my relative. So I think Boaz sees God as the one who is blessing her and Boaz is just the instrument through whom that blessing has come. You think I'm off base? Anybody want to push back? Sweet. Okay. And when Boaz tells her this, I know about all you've done. I know about how you left your home and you left your family and you came to Israel. I know that you're taking refuge in the God of Israel. When he tells her, this is why I'm helping you. This is why I'm protecting you she is broken in thankfulness for this kindness that's been done to her in verse 13 it says then she said i have found favor in your eyes my lord for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though i am not one of your servants she knows i'm a moabite i'm an outcast i don't have the right To do anything other than just walk around quietly, mind my business, and pick up the stuff that they're leaving behind. That's all the rights that I have, and yet he is showering this grace upon me, showering this favor upon me. But that's not where this ends. You see, Boaz doesn't just do a kind act for her and then leave it at that. Boaz literally takes responsibility for her well-being and for her care. In verse 14, it says, And at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also, look at this, pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. He, he feeds her during the workday just as if she was one of his other women, his other servants, taking care of her, even giving her more than she can eat. It says she has some left over. And then he makes provision for her to be able to gather an abundance of grain. Not only does he obey the law of God, which says, you know, whatever you drop, you just leave because the poor are going to come pick it up and don't do the corners of the field. He tells his men intentionally drop a bunch of stuff so she can pick it up. And don't rebuke her from picking it up. And she ends up with a lot of grain. In verse 17 and 18, it says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. Look at this work. She's gleaning, and then she's beating out what she's gleaning. And it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. The meal that he had given her at, at lunchtime, I guess. Ruth is a hard worker. She gleaned an ephah, which is, by most accounts, is, is between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. It's, it's, like, it's like throwing a bag of dog food on, on your shoulder. That's how much grain she brought home. It was several weeks worth of food for the average worker. So there's no doubt That God has been with her. God has provided for her. God has led her exactly where he wanted her to be, exactly with whom he wanted her to be. But remember, she still doesn't know who Boaz is. She has no idea what any of this means. So she brings all of this home to Naomi, and she has all of this grain, and she has all of this food left over from the mealtime, and she commences to tell Naomi how her day went. Verse 19 says, her mother-in-law said, "Where did you glean today?" I mean, you got a bag of old Roy here full of grain. and you got this food that's, that's I mean, it's actual food that left over from a mealtime that, I mean, you don't have a job. you were just going out to pick up stuff people dropped. Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Remember, Ruth doesn't know anything about Boaz. But you better believe Naomi does. She knows this is her relative. And all of a sudden, this light dawns in Naomi's heart. Just it breaks through all of the bitterness, all of the despair, all of the stuff that we saw in her heart in chapter one. In verse 20, it says, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And then Naomi tells her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, let's take this apart real carefully. First, she calls him a redeemer. Your translation may say a kinsman redeemer. you know what that is? Anybody want to share or let me just tell you? Is that, Ginger, you had your hand up or is that just a yawn? It was a yawn. Okay. Anybody know in the Levitical law what a kinsman redeemer is? Oh, Okay, I'm going to tell you. The kinsman redeemer was a family member whose duty was duty-bound to marry the wife of a deceased relative, have children with that wife, and those children would have the dead relative's name and inheritance. See what I mean? So it wasn't just, oh, my, my brother's wife died, so I'm going to take her as my wife, and now these are my kids. No, the kinsman redeemer would marry the brother's wife or the uncle's wife or whoever it was, And they would father children with the wife. And those children would have the dead relative's name, the dead relative's inheritance, and would continue the line of the dead relative. You with me? So that way, that line, his line, wouldn't pass out of Israel. His line would continue in Israel. So she cries out to the Lord, uh, knowing that there is still a Redeemer here for our family in Bethlehem. She cries out to the Lord, Realizing because Ruth had, by happenstance, we know by providence, found the one field there where there is a kinsman redeemer. We're going to find out later that there is another one. But, and God had sent her there and he had been kind. He had shown her grace. Um, and she cries out to the Lord. Blessed is him, of course. But she says that God... His kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That's a polar opposite of what she said at the end of chapter 1. God's testified against me. God has, I went away full and I came away empty. Don't call me pleasant or gentle anymore. You call me bitter. And so now she's saying... She's saying, well, this word kindness is the word, it's, it's kesset, it's the, it's the name of the Hebrew word. And it's hard to translate. It's all through the Old Testament. You, you see it everywhere. And it's translated as loving kindness. It's translated as covenant faithfulness. It's translated as loyal love. It's, it's hard to, for us to grab hold of just everything that this word means. Uh, but covenant faithfulness, covenant love is probably, uh, probably best She says, God has shown this covenant love, this faithfulness, covenant kindness to the living and the dead. What does she mean by that? Who's the living? She is. Ruth is. Who's the dead? Her husbands. So you see what she's saying? She finally realizes in this moment when Ruth comes back that God is brought... God could be bringing this together so that, number one, we'll be taken care of by this Redeemer, but also my dead husband's line is going to continue in Israel. And so he's faithful. Um, I think Naomi sees that God has shown Naomi that the way that their lives are going to be renewed and filled with joy again. Kindness to the dead, the dead husband. His line's going to continue. Naomi realizes that it may just be possible that her family line will continue in Israel. That there may just be hope after all. And Naomi begins to realize that contrary to what her bitter heart had convinced her of in chapter 1, God was still faithful. God was still showering His covenant love upon her. Even through all this suffering, God has shown his covenant faithfulness to her, and there is a purpose for all of the suffering that she's been through. It's not been for nothing. God was showing her that his covenant faithfulness was still working. And I think, this is just my opinion, but I think that she can see, or starting to see, all of the pieces of her life coming together in God's purpose. You know, if there wasn't a famine, they never would have left, and their son would never have married this Moabite woman. And if their son, sons wouldn't, if they would have had children, then their children would have continued those lines, and it would have been her son and this Moabite woman. And if the son wouldn't have died, they never would have, they never would have come back to Israel, he would never would have come back with Ruth. And so one apparently chance event had followed another and yet another, and her life, Naomi's life at the end of chapter 1, it looked out of control bitterness and sorrow just overtook her and you could almost it was visceral you could almost feel the depth of her bitterness at the end of chapter one but now the evidence of God's hand in all of this had become unmistakable for her and here she sees God's providential actions just break through the darkness of her bitterness and her despair and what Naomi and Ruth find at the end of this chapter through all their suffering through all their trial through all their heartache, through all the events of their life, God is still seeking after them. That's look, The way that we break through the bitterness, the resentment, despair of our hard circumstances and trials and sufferings in this life is to turn our eyes to the faithfulness of God and to see His hand at work. Even when we can't see his hand at work. And trust that he is working for our good and for his purposes. That's a promise. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And just be faithful to his word wherever he's placed us. Ruth could have easily been bogged down. I mean, she suffered too. She lost her husband. She lost all of her family, all of her country, all of her culture, all of her heritage, all of everything. She could have been just as easily bitter as Naomi. I believe that she trusted in the Lord and she was moving forward, not knowing what was going to happen. Maybe I'll find favor with somebody in the field. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm just going to keep moving forward. Naomi understands now, I think, and she tells Ruth, Ruth, this is good. You need to keep on gleaning with this guy. He says, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men uh, uh, until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Right now, I think Naomi's wheels are turning because in the previous verse, she said, Oh, he's a redeemer. He's a kinsman redeemer. But what he tells Ruth is, Ruth, you just, you just hang with him. It's going to be good for you. So Ruth's wheels are turning, I think. But what we find here at the end of this, and this is the last verse, is there one more verse? Yeah, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So what we find is... There is no heavenly vision here. There's no no angels directing anything. There's no miraculous. It's just everyday circumstances, the hardships, the trials, the decisions that are made by Ruth, by Naomi, by Boaz. God is working in it all. And He's working in it all to bring about His purpose. Ruth is going to be in the line of the Messiah. And God knows it. God's preparing it. God is planning it. So if you back up and you look at God's perfect plan, Boaz and Ruth are going to have a child. His name is Obed, who's going to be the grandfather of David, who's going to be in the line of the Messiah that's going to bring forth salvation to the world. You can see God move in all of this. In the famine that made them leave. In the death of Naomi's husband. In the childlessness of Ruth and her husband for 10 years. you imagine how hard that was? For 10 years? Being unable to have a child. In the death of Ruth's husband. God even moved and was working in Orpah, taking off and going back home. So that it was only Naomi and only Ruth that came back. And God brought them back for the purpose, knowing that this foreign, outcast, enemy of Israel, Moabite woman, was going to be the ancestor of God's Messiah. He, he orchestrated this entire event. And we're going to see more of that as we walk through the rest of the chapters of Luke. But, uh, uh, Ruth. But the ultimate thing you need to see is that, the, like the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. My God will supply all of your needs. There is nothing, even in the midst of trial and hardship, that we need that our God will not supply. Now, he ain't going to give you no Rolls Royce or nothing like that, so don't hear that. But he will give you what you need. Sometimes it don't seem that way, though, does it? Sometimes it seems like God has just turned his face away from us. Closed his ears to our prayers. I, every morning I journal my prayers because I can't keep my mind focused when I pray. I'm off thinking about something else, so I, I write everything down. I journal it. And I went back through some of my prayers over the last two or three years. And you can see them. And just, where are you? God, where are you? Why won't you answer? Why won't you? And then you flip four, five, six months in the journal. Thank you, God, for working. Thank you, God, for doing. We don't always know his plan. We never know his plan most of the time. And he's not obliged to tell us his plan. We are to follow him in faith, trusting his word, believing his promises, and being faithful with every step. And that's all that we can do. Sometimes it seems like he stopped showing his faithfulness to us. We feel that way. Yet the book of Ruth is just this glorious testimony to this statement. My God will supply all of your needs. According to his riches and glory. We just have to be faithful. Even when we don't understand how. If you picture Ruth and Naomi in that little... Wherever they were living at the beginning of chapter 2. Naomi's bitter. She's given up. She's done. There's no hope. There's no way this is going to work out. There's no way we're going to survive. God hates me. God has testified against me. I went away full and I came back empty. And here in the course of these events, God has shown himself faithful. So in the beginning, Ruth might, uh, not Ruth, but Naomi might say, there's no way, there's no way that we're ever going to have any kind of life. There's no way that we're ever going to experience the joy of life or the joy of children or the joy of, you know, in, in Israel, that was the That was the quintessential thing. You had a bunch of kids, and you were blessed above all other people. There's no way we're ever going to enjoy that again. Our line, our family line dies with us. I mean, just despair and hopelessness, and it can't be fixed, and it's impossible. By the end of chapter 2, God is moved, and yeah, there's a way. Man, it's it's just beautiful to me. Questions, comments? Yes curious to me that Boaz also probably had to go through some suffering as well on the flip side of, of the coin just because he's a worthy, wealthy man uh, without a wife. Yeah. How did he get to that stage? What, what trial did he have to go through uh, but still more than God, God? Sure, sure. You hear that? Dustin said that uh, on the flip side it could be that Boaz had suffered trial a lot too because he's an older man without a wife and you know, how how did all that work out together in Boaz's life? Uh, we don't know the answer to that question, but it's certainly it's certainly possible, certainly possible. And we're going to see, I, I, while you were talking, I, I thought of something I needed to say, but I can't remember what it is now. Um, we're going to see that by the end of this, it is a romantic story, okay? So I'm not saying, but like, Boaz in in some creep checking out the women in his field, you know, at this point. But when it, when it comes time, I'm giving away the story really, but when it comes time for Boaz to actually do the, the act of redeeming, um, he sacrifices a lot to do that. So if you know the story, there's a, a redeemer that's closer to the family than he is. And so when he, they ask him, will you be our kinsman redeemer? He says, there's another that's closer to you than me. So, but if he won't, I will. And they go and they ask uh, this kinsman redeemer in front of the city uh, elders. And the guy initially says, yeah, I'll do it. Why? Naomi has a field. Uh, I'll take that for sure. Okay, well, with the field comes this Moabite woman that you're going to marry. Oh, never mind. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Because you marry this Moabite woman who is the wife of the son of Elimelech, and you have children with this woman, guess who the inheritance goes to? Not your children, her children. Because you're the kinsman redeemer. They're his children, not your children. And so all of a sudden, it's not profitable for me anymore. You know, I don't get the field. My kids don't get the field. Her kids get the field because I'm the kinsman redeemer. So I don't want nothing to do with that. Boaz says, yeah, I'll marry her. I mean, he sacrifices a lot. Not sacrifices, but he does the right thing knowing that he's doing the right thing, I guess. Does that make sense? Any other questions? Okay. Y'all ready to go? All right, let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you, God, for your just amazing providence. God, we can't. We can't wrap our minds around the fact that you are sovereign, you are in control of all things. God, you knew that you knew that Joseph needed to be beaten and thrown in a pit so you could get him to Egypt to save Israel, to save many people alive. You knew that the suffering of of, of daniel and your and your people and, and all of the biblical narratives, God you are working for your good and for your glory. God help us to see that in our own lives. Help us to step out on faith when when faith is just so hard to come by in the midst of our suffering and trial, because you are God, and you are you 're able there is no point in our lives where we mu- where we can think that It is impossible. It's hopeless. And God, you are unable to enact your will for our good. That is simply not true. God, help us to see it. Help us to trust you. God, you are so good. And there are so many ways in so many situations and so many lives in this room tonight. We need you to move. God, and we're trusting you for it. And we know that you are. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.